I want to speak to you this morning about a place, um, an environment that we, that we all live in. I want to start with a question. I want to start this morning with the question of what is your definition of home? What is home to you? Um, what emotion or adjective um, would, would you use to describe your home? Um, and of course, sometimes it depends on what's going on at home, doesn't it? Um, your emotion might depend on what project you have going on at the time, right? You know, a lot of times it seems like that's what's going on at our house, some kind of project. It might depend um, on if your home is clean or not, right? Home can be very relaxing if it's clean. Isn't that true? Um, it might depend on what time you get home, right? Sometime when you get home, I just want to see my pillow. You know, just bring me right to my bedroom. So f- finish this sentence in your mind. Home is what? Home is what? And I hear murmuring. But here, here are some common sayings about home. Home, sweet home, right? That's what we all want it to be. Home is where the heart is. Home is where the people you love live. Another common saying, though, is also home health care. <laughs> home is where you hang your hat. My home is your home. Mi casa, su casa, right? Homemade, homegrown, home remodeling. Some of you are eaten out of house and home. Some of you live down home. Some of you bring home the bacon. But we all just want to be home free, don't we? Just That's right. So the thing is, is our, re- our reality, the reality is that our home is really what we make of it, isn't it? We create that environment. We, in a lot of ways, decide when we walk in the door what environment we're going to create in our home. We can make our homes incredibly positive, or we can make our homes miserable and everything in between, right? And a little sneak peek into our home. On, on Friday nights, Friday nights at the Welch House is awesome because Friday nights are what we call our pizza and movie night. And so it's, it's a very simple way, um, but it's something that we can do with the age of our kids very easily. It's really a relaxed environment. We all eat pizza in our family room and watch a movie, and I'm sure a lot of you do this, right? Okay, it's just kind of a, something that doesn't happen during the week. During the week, you don't eat in the family room. We eat it in the kitchen, but, but on Friday nights we do. And our awesome night doesn't end with the movie, though, because here's what happens. After the movie... While the credits are rolling and the music is playing, all three of our kids, and sometimes Kristen and I, get up and dance to the music. Okay? And if I'm being honest, our family has come up with some new dance moves that will never be seen again. I mean, I don't know, especially our four-year-old, I don't know where she pulls some of these moves out of, you know? So, but it's, it's fun. And... And if, if we were to take a little sneak peek into each one of your homes, we, we would come up you know, with, with different nuances or unique things, right? All of our homes are, are unique. I mean, they're our homes. And uh, our homes are very interesting at times, too, aren't there? There are things that we don't want people to know about our homes. Okay? That's, uh, that, 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 that's very common. 
There have also been a lot of studies done on the home, as you can imagine, and studies done on families and home, but sometimes the best way to understand what an average American home looks like is to see it. And so this morning, we're going to watch a clip from one of my favorite movies called The Incredibles. And The Incredibles are a superhero family. And the scene we're going to watch is the family meal early on in the movie. And this is dinner at the Parr household. And it has deteriorated into absolute pandemonium. So let's, let's, take, a, let's take a look here. So, how about you, Vi? How was school? Nothing to report. You've hardly touched your food. I'm not hungry for meatloaf. Well, it is leftover night. We have steak, pasta. What are you hungry for? Tony Ridinger. Shut up. Well, you are. I said shut up, you little insect. Well, she is. Do not shout at the table. Honey? Kids, listen to your mother. She'd eat if we were having Tony loaf. That's it. Hey. Superhero rights is missing. Gazer beam. Bob, it's time to engage. Do something. Don't just stand there. I need you to intervene. You want me to intervene? Okay. I'm intervening. I'm intervening. Get the door. Hey, Lucius. Hey, Speedo. Hey, help. Isn't that true? Absolute chaos, and the doorbell rings, and oh, hey, everybody get to your spots. We're fine. We're good. There's nothing going on here. The phone rings. Oh, hello. Hey, how you doing? Oh, I'm doing great. You know? But what really goes on at home, um, I guess you could say home sweet home, right? Our home sweet homes. The, the infant in this, in this movie is squealing in delight at the chaos as his two siblings engage in this super-powered combat with each other, right? Frazzled mom stretches and strains unsuccessfully to restore order. And what about Bob Parr, father and former Mr. Incredible? Well, he stands on the side, physically present but relationally absent and utterly uncertain on what to do, right? And his sole advice... Up to this point, it had been, kids, listen to your mother, right? <laughs> Finally, his wife flings a frantic plea in his direction. She says, Bob, it's time to engage. Don't just stand there. Do something. And to his credit, Bob does, doesn't he? He, he intervenes. You know, he, he really gives it the old college try. But the problem is, Mr. Incredible has no clue how to engage the situation wisely. And... And his engagement results in even greater chaos. And then, of course, the doorbell rings. Suddenly, everyone scrambles to their positions for a seat at the table. And by the time the door opens, what the visitor sees is a perfectly placid all-American family, right? The one we all want to present. How many of you were able to connect to a part or a character in this video? That's right. <laughs> See... No, let, let's do that again. How many of you are able to connect to a partner, character? I want you to look around. See? This is a reality for a lot of us. Okay. So, 
Today, though, what I want to do is just give you an accurate picture of home life in America. And this clip should actually clip uh, captured it very well. And I want, but I want to give you um, an accurate picture as it relates to faith. And, and, and then what we're going to do is we're going to take a look at God's word for a reality check. Or in other words, how are things supposed to work in our homes? Or what's true? which should be true. And finally, I'm going to give you some practical insights about how to move forward at home, no matter what your home looks like. Okay? And so we're going to begin this morning by looking at a few statistics about the state of our homes in America, not as it relates to dinner, but as it relates to faith. The reality is that most people in homes across America are people who grew up with a church background, but have decided not to participate anymore. That's not... Maybe in some ways not surprising. But according to statistics, we are becoming a nation of unbelievers as fewer individuals affiliate themselves with any form of Christian faith. The trend has accelerated over the past decade as younger generations adopt an increasingly negative view of Christianity. And in fact, this is true then. Because of this, as a result, most self-identified unbelievers in this country are former church kids. Most self-identified unbelievers in this country are former church kids. Now, you don't have to be a children's pastor to have that break your heart, you know? What about marriages? Um, According to the statistics, marriages are, are on a decline all across America. People are choosing to just not get married. Uh, Parenthood is declining. People are deciding not to be parents, and those who are are having fewer children. Maybe for those reasons. (laughs) According to studies, Christian parents are less intentional than in previous generations. But what about parents who attend church? All of us sitting in church today, how are we doing? Because I'm one of them. Of parents who attend church, nearly a quarter never or rarely prayed with their children, while another quarter only prayed occasionally with their kids. About 40% of parents never, rarely, or only occasionally discuss spiritual matters with their children. This is families and parents who go to church. A fifth of parents who attend church never read, never have read, studied, or discussed God's Word with their children. It has been conservatively estimated that less than half of kids attending church with their parents today will be active Christians as adults. God designed the family as the primary context of faith formation, yet fewer than 10% of parents have any kind of faith discussion with their children. That's across the board. The reality is is that there's a cosmic combat for the souls of the rising generation swirling all around us. It's not seen, and this is true even in our calmest moments. But with few exceptions, church-going parents and parents across our country are responding This includes parents like myself who are responding like Mr. Incredible and have maybe disengaged from the battle. It brings a stunned silence. But you know what? This is our reality. This is the way it is. This is the culture in which we find ourselves living. However, if we sat there, we would all go home feeling very bad and saying, man, you know, the world is going to hell in a hand masking, right? But all is not lost. There is hope. 
Um, but I want us to be aware. I think we need to be aware of the reality so we can search God's word and be guided by his Holy Spirit on what change we can be a part of. I, I tend to think of this kind of information when I hear it because I'm, I'm, I'm right in the mix with all of you here trying to figure out how to, how to raise a generation that serves Christ, how to pass faith on from generation to generation, what should our home look like. And so I, I began to think of it like this, like an estimate you or I may get from a contractor for a new roof. And, and here's how it goes. You call the contractor, right? They come over and they do an inspection to get an accurate picture of what the current reality of your roof is. After the roof assessment, they come in the house and go over what they found. Then they leave you with an estimate and a few decisions to make. Isn't that true? And in the estimate, you'll find everything that is wrong with your roof. Some of it you knew about, and maybe some of it you didn't. The trends of home life in America is like that roof estimate. We know the roof needs some work, but we must have an accurate picture of its current state before we can make educated decisions about what to do next. Does that make sense? When we first look at the estimate, it seems overwhelming. But what we can say is, well, the roof is just going to cave in someday anyways, right, and leave it alone. No, if, if you're like me, when you get that estimate, I bet you your eyes go right down to the bottom, right? And you look at the number and you ask yourself, what is this going to cost me to make it right? Right? Isn't that true? This is the question we need to ask this morning. We need to do as a culture, this is what we need to do as a culture and as individuals and as families, what do we need to ask ourselves or what do we need to do to make, to make it right and make things right in our home? Is it a quick fix? Can it be done all at once? Well, we have to do it little by little. And, and I think some people, maybe some of you sitting in this room right now, maybe thinking to yourself, you know what, my roof is fine, or my home is fine, or maybe I don't have any kids at home right now, and to you I would say everyone's roof could use a little work, even yours. Today I'm purposefully using the word home because I don't want us to get caught up in a word game this morning. We all go home wherever it may be, don't we? You're all going to leave here, maybe you go out for lunch, and then you're going to go home. How is your home? What would it say on your estimate of your home? The issues that each of us face today may be unique, but they're not new. The challenges in our homes may be difficult, but not beyond repair. And the question is, what can we do to make it right? Or better yet, what does God want us to do to make our homes better reflect how he intended them to be? Isn't that the right question? And so this picture that we have, this is our reality. With, with a better picture of the home or our estimate in mind, what I, what I want to do um, is, is help us figure out then what does God's word say we should do. So we have a better picture of current trends of homes in America, what we can do, we have to figure out what we can do to make it right. In order to answer the question, we need the wisdom of God, don't we? A lot of times I have made the mistake in my thinking here at this point. A lot of times I would stop here and assume I knew what needs to be done. How many of you have done this? You assess the situation and you're like, all right, listen, this is what needs to happen. So we, we may, and you can finish these sentences, you may say something like, you know, if people would just, right, blank, or we say, if parents would, 
blank. Or, you know what, if these kids would just, right, then, then this wouldn't be an issue. But here's the thing, it's not that simple. If these issues in our homes were that simple to solve with man's wisdom, we wouldn't be seeing the challenges we face today, right? And so I, I wouldn't be reading you the statistics of homes in America. And so we shouldn't find our answer in how we were raised or what we think would fix everything. This is really just man's opinion. We need to see what the creator of the family, the builder of the home, we need to see what God says that we can do. What does God say our home should be like? How did he create them to function? So let's take a look into his word this morning to find out how. Um, Jamie Love just read for us Psalms 78 verses 1 through 8, and that's going to be the first scripture um, that we're going to look at this morning. Psalms 78 verses 1 through 8. I think this gives us an excellent picture to at least have a starting point on, on what our home should look like. Psalm 78, verses 1 through 8. This is what God's Word has to say. It says this, Listen, O my people, to my instruction. Incline your ears to the word of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old, which we have heard and known, and our fathers have told us. We will not conceal them from their children, but tell the generation to come the praises of the Lord and his strength and his wondrous works that he has done. For he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers that they should teach them to their children, that the generation to come may know, even the children yet to be born, that they may arise and tell them to their children, that they should put their confidence in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. And not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that did not prepare its heart and whose spirit was not faithful to God. So the question is, in Psalm 78, 1-8, what is God saying to us about what our home should look like? What is this passage saying? Well, I think there's a couple things here that we can, that we can pull out from God's Word. Number one is simply this. This is a big deal. I think this is the main key of the whole of all these verses, is that the home is the primary avenue by which faith is passed from generation to generation. That is literally what it's saying. That's the whole point that it's communicating. We cannot hide it from them. We are, no matter what our home looks like right now, whether we're single, married, kids, no kids, grandparents, any phase that you find yourself in, we are God's plan for passing our faith in Jesus Christ to those in our homes and families. That's it. That's God's plan. If that doesn't happen, there isn't really a plan B. That's how he set things up. So I think before we can even move on, what does God want us to do? Well, I think God is telling us our homes are the primary avenue by which faith is passed from generation to generation. But, but there's something else in here that I don't want us to gloss over. There, um, a second thing that I think, I know for a number of years, I think I have missed as a parent, in fact, um, as, I, as I go through this, that... It, there's a whole theology behind this point that maybe we can explain at a later date. But the second principle that we see in this scripture is this, is that there must be a personal commitment to verbally communicate what God has done. We, we are all familiar with the phrase, some things are better caught than taught, right? And you know what? I completely agree. 
I, I think it's true. You really must have both, though. Some things are better caught than t- You need to set the example, but you also need to verbalize, communicate verbally. You must live out your faith, and you must verbally share it, even if it, and, and, and here's what I want us to catch, even if it isn't perfect in your own life yet. And here's where I think a lot of us um, stop, or at least that's where I had tended to stop. There's a problem, though, with that kind of thinking. Here's the problem that I've noticed. I have seen parents pass on verbalizing right teaching because they feel like they have not attained that truth yet. Have you ever done that? You know what? That's a problem for me. If I say something, they're not going to see it in my life. And then, But you know what? Then they'll never know the truth. They'll never know the truth. So <clears throat> I appreciate the commitment there to practicing what you preach. But there can be an unintended consequence of this one-sided thinking. And I think here's where we go wrong. We should not use this shortcoming, our own shortcomings, as an excuse for not verbally communicating our faith in Christ and what he has done in our lives. This is one of the primary ways, this verbally communicating our faith, one of the primary ways to transfer faith from generation to generation, seen in Psalm 78, but also seen in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 5 through 7, says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Okay? Set the example. These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. You said, shall teach them diligently to your sons and daughters, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up. We have to talk about it. We have to talk about it. Sometimes I think there's a fear among Christians that, that maybe we don't practice what we preach, that, that maybe I don't do life perfectly, so I can't expect or teach that to my kids. But here's the reality. None of us do life perfectly. Here's what we have to get. What's normal anyway? Imperfect people. Right? That's normal. So let's not let our imperfections keep us from communicating God's word. In fact, I, I would see this quite a bit. Um, when I was teaching, especially in conferences, when a student maybe wasn't doing well in math, I would have a conference and sit down with the parent, and a lot of times they would say, well, I was never good in math either. And although that may be true, I thought it was sad that this, that that is the reason, or that reasoning was then used as an excuse for their child to perform poorly as well. And... I don't know about you, but I want my kids to be better. I want the people around me to be better. I want them to move past what I have done. I don't want my shortcomings to hold back my own kids or the people around me. And so instead, we should, we should say, I may not have done well, but I believe in you, and I think you can do better than I did. This is true spiritually, too. We need to strive to practice what we preach, but we also need to verbally communicate all of God's principles to our kids, whether we do them well or not. We cannot be afraid to spiritually grow with our kids in different areas. And I think sometimes as parents, we can get caught up in that. We don't want to show weakness, right? Showing weakness is bad, because then maybe you lose power, potentially. But here's, here's really the, the message, though, that I think I want to get. I I think we all need to get. 
is that we cannot be afraid to spiritually grow with our kids in different areas. Let's not let our own shortcomings paralyze our tongues in communicating God's word and what he has done. And I'm not saying it's okay to constantly mess up and never get better. But what I am saying is let's be spiritually transparent enough to let our kids see some imperfections in our lives and then show them how to apply God's word to that area and how to have God change your heart, change your mind, and change your actions. Does that make sense? We must be spiritually transparent. Our kids will learn more through our own spiritual transparency than they will through our fake spiritual perfection. And that's just truth. That is truth. So we see the picture of what is. And, 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 and I could go on into this whole idea of, of spiritual transparency quite a bit because I think it's an incredible concept. We, we see our normal um, roles as a parent of discipline and, and, and all those different things which are good. But, I, but what we do is we miss the spiritual side of it that literally says your children are brothers and sisters in Christ. And so it may seem weird that you're trying to train them up when you're not doing it. Well, they need to understand the brother and sister in Christ would say, I'm not perfect either. Okay? We need, we need to discipline. We need to teach them right from wrong. We need to show them the way. But the spiritual brother and sister in Christ says, you know what? I messed, I messed this up too. And they see their kids not as someone standing behind them, as we normally would in parents, but see them with a heavenly perspective that one day in heaven... If our prayers are answered and our kids decide, we're standing next to our kids as brothers and sisters in Christ. Does that make sense? And there's a big difference between the two. And so, we have, yes, we have to parent in a probably pretty traditional way, but we have to marry that with this concept of a heavenly perspective that they are our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. So... So we see this estimate um, recognizing kind of the current reality of our home, right, and our culture. We look to God's word, and I think, I think very clearly in Psalm 78 we see two things at least that stand out as the home is the, main, is the primary avenue by which faith is passed on from generation to generation and that we can't forget to verbally communicate the things that God has done. That's a big deal. In fact, it may be to the point where our kids are like, oh, here he goes again. Telling the story about what God did. Dad, I know you told me that. Well, I know, but I just I want to make sure you hear it again. Okay? It's a big deal. Okay? We talk about what's important to us, don't we? The NCAA tournament's coming up. Kristen is going to hear a lot about the NCAA tournament, because I'm going to be talking to her about it. Anthony and I will be watching some basketball together. But if we verbalize what's important to us, then we really need to verbalize our faith. That is number one, way beyond any basketball game. So we looked to God's word to see how he intended homes to function. And we looked at that. Now let's see how this can be practically lived out in our homes. Let's apply God's word to our current situations. And so there's three very practical things that I want to share with you guys this morning um, that we can live out, ways that we can live out these spiritual truths that we are going to look at. Okay? So the first one, a very practical way that, these, that this concept is lived out in the home, that you can literally go home and practice right after church, is this. Number one is in our homes we need to show Christ in our marriages. We need to show Christ in our marriages. Ephesians chapter 5 begins with the challenge of being imitators of God. Then it goes on to talk about husbands and wives and how they are to conduct themselves. 
Husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church. Wives are to respect their husband as the church would be subject to Christ. Then Paul goes on in verses 31 and 32 to say this. He says, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And then verse 32 says, This mystery is great, but I am speaking with reference to Christ and the church. For some reason, and I'm not sure why, but for some reason God set marriage up to be the perfect representation of Christ and his church. Now that's some pressure, right? Because it doesn't always look probably like it should, like Christ in the church. But what it does is it elevates marriage to a spiritual representation that goes much beyond two people making it work, doesn't it? It validates marriage well beyond a ceremony that happened one day a long time ago. It is to daily represent the spiritual relationship between Christ and his church in physical form. Now that is way bigger than just a I'll endure it till the end mentality of marriage, isn't it? Or a partnership of raising kids together. Do you know that an increasing amount of divorces are happening after parents leave the home, or I'm sorry, after kids go off to college? You guys have seen it. You probably have your own friends that maybe have divorced or separated after kids are long gone. Well, what happened? They spent 30 years together raising their kids, trying to raise them for Jesus. I think very well-intentioned, right? But what happened? Well, when you do, when you do marriage, it's just raising kids together, and the kids are gone, why stay together? But what God is saying to us is that it's, it's far beyond all that. It, it, it is literally a physical representation of Christ in the church. That's a much bigger deal. In fact, the best definition of marriage I have heard is from the series that um, Mark and Liz Fisher are doing in Marriage Builders called The Art of Marriage. Um, And in session one, Dr. Crawford Loritz defines the purpose of marriage like this. This is is good. He says, The ultimate purpose of marriage is to reflect and tell the truth about the God whose image we bear. The ultimate purpose of marriage is to reflect and tell the truth about the God whose image we bear. Now, that makes a lot of sense then, that if our marriage doesn't represent that, then our kids are not seeing Christ in us, right? That if our marriage, if, if our marriage isn't right, then the chance of our kids um, seeing a right example of who God is is very slim. Does that make sense? Marriage is a big deal. This makes marriage an absolute essential piece of restoring our homes in America. And possibly the best way, quite possibly the best way, to pass faith on from generation to generation is a godly marriage lived and verbalized in the home. That may be the best way. So, how do you do that? What, what can Kristen and I go home and do today where we can begin that process? Well, there's two things. One is to pray together as husband and wife. This is, any statistic that's in the 90s is pretty good. If it's a positive one, we should probably do it because it works. So listen to this. Pray together as husband and wife because research shows that 98% of couples who pray together stay together. Isn't that interesting? Why is that? I'm not sure. I could give some good guesses, but I think 
people who pray together, couples who pray together, are elevating marriage to its right place. I think that might be it. So, our homes, we need to show Christ in our marriages. The second thing that we can practically do and that we need to understand is the home is the primary place where believers are raised. Very practically. Passing faith on to the next generation cannot be outsourced. Okay? Can't be outsourced like going out to dinner or education or anything like that. It must happen. It has to happen in the home. This is exactly what Psalm 78, 5 through 7, and Deuteronomy 6 are talking about. That's the whole point of those passages of Scripture. This principle transcends culture. It transcends where you send your kids to school. It, it goes beyond age or cultural norms. This principle transcends time and generation. It even transcends socioeconomic status. It doesn't matter about any of these things. Our homes are the primary avenue where faith is passed down. In every culture, in every generation, young, old, poor, rich, public school, private school, home school, transferring your faith from one generation to another solely depends on what goes on at home. That's it. It doesn't make other issues insignificant. It doesn't make those things not a big deal. But what it does, what it does is this, is it keeps those other issues in the right perspective, doesn't it? If what goes on at home is the priority, it keeps them in the right perspective. It has long been thought that the decline of Christianity in our culture was responsible for the deteriorating family structure, right? Christianity goes down, our homes are affected, and then it goes, and, and so goes our families. But now some leading theologians are shifting this paradigm, and this is what they're saying. They're shifting this paradigm and saying, since the family is the primary place where believers are raised, that the deteriorating family structure is responsible for the decline of Christianity in our culture. That's different, isn't it? That's way different, at least, than I, I, I've thought. It's, it's really challenged my thinking that um, saying that the, the family is the primary place where believers are raised that, and that the deteriorating family structure is responsible for, for the decline of Christianity in our culture. And if this is true, which I believe it is, it really makes sense. It makes being purposeful at home and what goes on at home paramount, not only for creating healthy families and kids, but to literally advancing the kingdom of God on this earth. It's a big deal. Your home is your greatest mission field. So what can we do at home in order to make this purposeful? Here's one simple thing that you can do this week to live this out at home. Once again, research shows that the number one factor to lessening negative behavior in kids and teens is something very simple, but something that can be easily lost. It's having meals together. Every study shows, it's kind of crazy to think about, but every study shows that the number one factor to lessening negative behavior in kids and teens is to have meals together. Really? That's it? Come on. It's got to be more than that. So this week, though, have dinner together. Not in front of the TV. You actually need to interact with each other. Okay? Then begin to discuss as a family how can you change your schedules to make it happen more consistently. That's why scheduling is a big deal. That's why you should have priorities at home some things should be non-negotiables okay and this is why so 
first, we need to exemplify Christ in the church in our marriages. We need to understand that our home is the primary avenue on where this faith is transferred. And the third thing is this, we need to be Jesus in our homes. I want to say that one more time. We need to be Jesus in our homes. A strong home, a strong family is where the word becomes flesh. We cannot obviously literally be Jesus, fully God and fully man. However, we need to be icons or representations of Jesus in our homes. Philippians chapter 2 talks about how we are to be like Christ. This is the best scripture on how to be Jesus in the home. We don't want our kids to feel Jesus, but to literally see a representation of Jesus in our homes. There's a big difference between feeling Jesus and being Jesus. How do you pass faith on in your home? You literally become a representation of Jesus in your home, according to Philippians 2. We don't want the next generation to think Jesus or the Holy Spirit is a feeling or a concept. We want them to see Jesus in a very real and practical way as we live out what it's like to allow God to change our minds and our hearts and eventually our actions to become an increasingly better representation of Jesus Christ each day. Does, does that make sense? Being Jesus. Think about your situation at home. Maybe dinner is a lot like the dinner scene from The Incredibles. Okay? Instead of just trying behavior modification, let's work on being Jesus in our homes. We don't just want to pass on table manners, do we? We want to pass on Christ, a Christ-centered way of life. And there's a huge difference. And eventually might be reflected at the dinner table, which would be nice, wouldn't it? So this week, how can you be Jesus, work on being Jesus? Read Philippians 2 and focus more on the concept of being Jesus instead of just doing Jesus-y things. And there's a big difference, isn't there? There's, there's a lot of people who can look like and put on Jesus-y things, but to literally be a representation of Jesus, that's a totally different concept. I, I saw this quite a bit in teaching as well, and it always drove me nuts. There was something wrong with so many um, rewarded incentive systems. And I, I'm all for some behavior modification. I mean, I, I have three kids. You know what? Sometimes you just have to do things this way. Okay? And, but what it always lacks is the heart. It always lacks the heart. If... If we have to, you know, you know what? If you get all A's, um, I'll give you a hundred bucks. I'll get all A's. <laughs> you know what I mean? Your your kids might give all A's, and, and and it's not necessarily even a bad idea. But instead of instead of rewarding expected behavior, let's work on changing the heart of our home, so that our kids have the heart of Christ. Does that make sense? Instead of just a reward for doing expected things. If you live like Jesus, well, then you'll get this. Yeah, but what if we, what if we were being Jesus? And there's a big difference. So we've been given this estimate, right? The honest truth of the state of our American homes, which includes marriage realities, gaps in parent, uh, parents being purposeful in their faith interactions with children at home. We've looked at God's word to see how he intended things to be. The home is the primary avenue, Right where faith is passed from generation to generation, and you've been given some practical ideas on what you can do at home. The question is, as you assess your home situation in light of our cultural realities, God's Word, and practical ideas, is what does God want you to do to make it right? What do you need to do in your home? 
all of us, our home situations are completely different. There may be some similarities, but they all look very different. What's happening in our homes is very different. And the cool part is, is that here at Portview Church, you're not alone in asking yourself this question. As a church leadership team, we have been asking this question since I've come to Portview. Ever since I've been at Portview. When Pastor Mark sat down and interviewed me, his stated goal, one of my stated and primary jobs, is to come up with an 18-year plan. And you know what? It's impossible. Do you know why it's impossible? Because it doesn't depend on me. I can't come up with an 18-year plan for your kids. Does that make sense? But here's what we've been doing over the past four or five years we've been working on this. And it's not, a plan, it's not a plan that we have for your kids, but what it is is a plan of coming alongside parents to raise their kids to serve Jesus. I am proud to say that we are extremely close to revealing a purposeful 18-year plan to come alongside parents and what goes on at home, that you don't have to do it alone. And this plan will acknowledge and equip parents as they live out their God-given role as the primary avenues by which faith is passed from one generation to the next. And this plan will be visual, it will be very intentional, and extremely practical for the wide variety of homes represented in our culture. No one's home situation looks the same. And so we have to have an adaptable plan that can flex with that. And so we as a church are prepared to help you practically live this out in your home. And as homes are changed, families are restored to their God-given purpose. As homes and families are restored to this God-given purpose, it begins to change our culture. And as our culture, as our culture is changed, Christ is put back in his rightful place, right? And I believe that this change can change our current realities and our current trends. That in years to come, we can talk about the increasing number of people who are transferring their faith from generation to generation. That We can talk about the increasing number of kids who are serving Christ well into adulthood. That we can talk about the success of homes and families with the right motivation and the right heart of communicating both verbally and by example their faith in the home. And I believe this is not only possible, but I see it as very probable. I really do. God's plan to change the world is the partnership between families and the local church. That's his plan. Our commitment as a church may be summed up with the old Home Depot phrase, you can do it, we can help. That's right. You can do it, we can help. So we'll be looking for this 18-year plan that we're going to begin to roll out late 2014, early 2015. And I believe Portview Church will be the place for families who want to be purposeful about passing on their faith to the next generation. Isn't that exciting to be a part of? Isn't that cool that we can all be on the same page working towards the same goals? That there's not anyone trying to... To, to take your responsibilities of raising your kids and what you need to do at home, but that you do have help, that you're not alone, that this church is filled with other people who are in all different kinds of life stages who are living, trying to live this out well, and that we can come together as a community of believers to say, all right, now let's do it. Let's do it together. And that's exciting to me. 
Because then in years to come, when I do kids' church, and, and when we baptize kids, and as our kids grow up and get married, and as they move out, that they will be serving Christ. And there's nothing more rewarding in the eyes of anyone who's a parent or not than to see our kids serving Jesus for life. God is most honored when that occurs. So this morning, would you please stand with me? We are going to pray. And after we pray, I, I would challenge you to do this. It's a family service. we got kids in the service. Um, before you leave, pray together as a family. If you have little kids, it might be two and a half minutes. It might be 35 seconds. That's fine. Remember, the point is the heart behind it. Get together as a family. Even if it's just you and you're like, I don't, I don't have family, that's all right. Pray as a family and let's go and do it. Would you please pray with me this morning? God, we want to thank you. Thank you, Jesus, that your word has a plan. God, that you saw this from the very beginning of creation and you set things up that the family is to be the primary transfer of faith from one generation to the next. God, we see your incredible wisdom throughout Scripture. Lord, thank you. Thank you, God, for thousands of years later, knowing what our trends are going to be, knowing what our struggles are going to be, knowing difficulties, and already having that plan in place. But God, it's tough. Our family situations, our homes are all over the board. There's a lot of difficulty to overcome. Lord, we live in a culture that that doesn't allow for it much. Maybe even doesn't want parents to be that main influence. So God, even though it's difficult, you've given us your Holy Spirit to lead and to guide. So I ask that as we think about what things need to look out and look like in our homes, that you would just so clearly communicate to each one of us. We look at our estimates with honesty and be able to say, well, what do we need to do to make it right? And it's Lord, it, Lord, it's not about reaching perfection, but it's beginning to create or taking steps towards creating the right environment where our kids can not only thrive in Jesus, but literally have that faith passed become believers that we verbally share that we live out godly examples and Lord if we do that just like it says in your word faith will be transferred from one generation to the next and you will be honored and you will be exalted and you will be put in your right place so God give us wisdom as we leave here this morning Lord help us to make difficult decisions possibly that need to be made Help us to reprioritize. Help us to change schedules. Help us to do, God, what we need to do, what you're calling us to do for whatever our home looks like. Thank you, God, that you are the solution. Thank you that the solution is clearly spelled out in your word. And it's in Jesus' name we pray.